Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 12. A special welcome to every single one of you here. We continue on in our series on biblical stewardship. It's not yours. Just let me quickly note that if you are visiting with us this morning, a special welcome to you. And please understand that because we're talking about stewardship and the responsibility of the fact that everything that we own belongs to the Lord, uh, please understand we don't always speak on the subject of money um, at Big Woods Bible Church, okay? It's been almost three years since I've had the privilege of, of shepherding um, here at Big Woods, and this is the first time really in a series that we'll address this, just so that you are aware of that, okay? I just love that we can pause in a moment such as this, as we sang together as a congregation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, there is such a distance between his holiness and our unholiness. There's such a gap. And yet it is through the Lord Jesus Christ that closes that gap, that allows you and I to actually have a personal relationship with a holy God because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an amazing thought. Why don't we bow our heads and just thank the Lord for Christ, for salvation, for the work of the cross, and also to bless our time as we learn and, Lord willing, grow to be more like Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for this time that you have, you have aligned and you have arranged and you have ordained for us to be together. Father, I thank you that it is through the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive work for us on the cross that allows us to even approach you. And yet, Lord, through Christ, we can have a personal relationship with you, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that we have hope every single morning that we wake up that there does not have to be a sense of uncertainty because we know, Lord, who you are, and we know, Lord, that when we put our trust in you, that we offer our life to you and everything about our own lives in your hands, that all is well. We pray, Lord, for strength and guidance and wisdom as we learn and as we grow. We, we pray, Lord, for this community that we would have opportunity to speak into people's lives, to invite them to come to, to hear about the good news of Jesus. Father, I pray for my brothers, other pastors in this community who are preaching the truth of the gospel. God, I would ask that you would equip them and empower them in a unique way that we would understand the role of working alongside of one another to transform this community through the good news of Jesus. And Father, as we come now as a congregation bowed in your presence, I would ask Lord, that you, in a unique way, would minister to our hearts, strengthen our hearts, perhaps quicken, convict our hearts, but Lord, bring comfort and a soothing spirit, as only you can do. Father, we ask that your perfect will be accomplished. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let me read to you a, a small 
narrative, a short story from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 12. Begin with me in verse 41. Let's, let's go to the temple and let's sit with Jesus and let's watch and listen to what's happening. And he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had. All she had to live on. It's called the lepton. I don't know if you've ever heard of that word before. A lepton is the lowest monetary denomination in circulation in first century Roman Empire. It actually took two leptons, these, these tiny small copper coins, two of them to, to equal one, pen, one penny. It equaled one sixty-fourth of a denarius. A denarius was basically equal to one day's wage. It's a small, small portion of money. What's happening here, it was the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. You know the, the narrative. He is already ridden triumphantly and yet most humbly into Jerusalem. He has cleaned out the money changers from the, the temple. He has taught on the coming kingdom. He has taught on the great commandments. He has taught about the dangers of hypocrisy. And now in this setting, it says that Jesus is sitting and he is watching people. And I don't know about you, but it's always fun to watch other people. Let me tell you this. You and I have the liberty to watch other people. We're allowed to do that. But Jesus has the authority to watch other people. And let me tell you this, as we learned this morning, Jesus is watching you and I every single moment of every single day. It says that Jesus was watching wealthy people, rich people, put in large sums of money. Probably merchants, landowners, some of the, the, the upper religious echelon, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're probably literally putting in, it would be bags, leather bags of gold and silver coins and then and then it says that there was a woman it's described she is described as a poor 
widow. Most likely she's old. We don't know for certain. We do know that her husband has died and that there is no one to care for her. Please understand, when there's the use of this word poor, it's not what we're thinking of today. Well, she only had a 19-inch flat screen TV. That's pretty poor. No, no, no. Poor in this context means destitute. She had literally nothing. It was not that uncommon for a poor widow to be homeless and actually be a beggar. And yet here she is. She is at worship. I don't know. I, I tend to think that maybe she's, she's stooped over a little bit. Maybe she, she shuffles her feet as she comes forward and she puts in these two small little coins. Think. That's it. Lesson time. I, I think in all honesty, verse 43, there's this phrase. I think this is, I think this is the coolest part of this story. He, Jesus, called his disciples to him. Which means what? They, they were obviously in the vicinity, but they were, they were missing out. When Jesus saw this, it's, it's lesson time. I think of Matthew, the former tax collector, he's probably close by, and he's like, did you see the size of that bag of money? Like that's probably what, what Matthew's thinking. James and John, they, they, they have the ultimate staring problem. They're just staring out in, into the fancy, shiny chariots that are parked out in the parking lots. I can just see it. Johnny, did you see the spokes on that one? That's got to be the new X21 model. Did you check that out? And Jesus says, boys, remember, these are country boys. And they're in the city. They're in Jerusalem. He says, come here, come here, come to me. He said, see this woman right here? Maybe he pointed at her. I don't know. It's not polite to point, but Jesus, if he wants to point, he points. He says, see that woman? She got it right. Here it is directly. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Please understand, as we speak on the subject, on the importance of biblical stewardship, if you hear nothing else, hear this. It's not about the amount. It's, it's about the heart. It's not about how much is given. It's about how it is given. It's not about how much is given. It's about how it is We'll get back to this story, okay? Let, let me take a quick review. Where have we been so far with our series on biblical stewardship? We have these stewardship principles. Let me remind you, number one, stewardship principle number one, what? God owns everything, everything, and I am, we are his money managers. The, the gold is mine, the silver is mine, everything and everyone belongs to me, the Lord says. Stewardship principle number two, by way of review. My heart always goes where I put God's money. In essence, Jesus is saying what? You show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what's important in your life. 
Stewardship principle number three, heaven, not earth, is my home. Do not, do not get too comfortable here because we are moving through. Which brings us to the last time we were together, stewardship principle number four, I should live for the line, not the dot. I should live for the line of eternity, not the dot of this temporal existence here on earth. Last time, a couple weeks ago, we were together speaking on this subject. We concluded, we talked about this, this problem that exists in our world. Remember the, the new English term that we learned at Portmanto? It's a blending together, unofficially, of two official words. And we talked about the, the problem, this disease that's going on in our world today, in our society, affluenza. The, the, the blending together of affluence or wealth and riches and influenza. And there's a problem here. Materialism. If, if, if affluence is the disease, if materialism is the problem, the cure for all of that, thankfully, is found very clearly in the Word of God. And we actually went to the Word of God in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's teaching those who are wealthy, guess what? That's you and I in America in the 21st century. Regardless of how tough or tight it might be for you, you are actually considered what? The most wealthy society that's ever existed in the history of the known world. And Timothy says, this is how we guard against it. He gives these kind of very quick, almost uh, commands, instructions on how we are to live. Charge them not to be haughty. First and foremost, don't let this go to your head. Don't, don't, don't become prideful. Another one, don't set your hope in riches, but in God. It says do good. It says be rich in good works. It says be generous. It says be ready to share. And the reason why, the reason, according to what it says in verse 19, to store up treasure... As a good foundation for the future. But ultimately, there's this phrase that we paused on. And I remind you, why do we do this? Why do we live like this? Why do we even talk about this subject? Why? So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's what we're focusing on. So that you and I can grab hold of that which is Truly life. That which is truly life speaks about our eternal life as opposed to our temporal life. If we, if we talk about, okay, well, what is the true life? We automatically have to look at the reverse and we have to ask the question, well, if, if we know that the true life is eternal life, what is this false life? If there's true life, there's got to be false life. In our world today, there's a term, the false life is what people talk Today about being the good life. Oh, he is living the good life. There's actually a definition I found. The good life is this. The life that you would like to live. The, the, the good life is what? The good life is this. According to our world, our society, our culture, if you have all the money that you could ever dream of having, you have all the pleasures at your fingertips that you can live without any care. That's the good life. Live without any, any concern. You live in, in luxury and you live in indulgence. Oh, that's the good life. You have your feet up. 
You have a drink in your hand. You have a fat wallet in your pocket. The good life is anything that you would like life to be. When in reality, the good life is what? In all honesty, it's nothing more than a life of materialism. It's another word. It's actually hedonism. Hedonism is the constant pursuit of pleasure. That's really what the, the, the good life is today. That's what people are pursuing, a constant life. I want to feel good. It is a single-minded, self-absorbed, self-centered worship of pleasure, worship of possessions, and worship of power. We heard recently what? All I've got, all I need is a pen and a phone. We're actually instructed in Scripture to pray for that thinking that it be changed. There is this life that people call the good life. In all honesty, it's with great tragedy that the results of the good life are spelled out for us in Paul's letter that he wrote to the Romans. The Romans, if you recall, in the Roman Empire were seeking the good life, a life of pleasure and a life of opulence and, and, and a life of ease. Turn with me. I want you to see this yourself. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is oftentimes referred to as one of the, the saddest, one of the most tragic chapters in the entire Bible. Why is that? Why? Because three times, at least three times, you will see this one phrase repeated in Romans chapter 1. Just a couple words. It says this, God gave them up. In essence, he says this, if you want to live the so-called good life, guess what? You can live it. You can live it. He actually gave them. Another translation says he gave them over. You want this? You can have this. What is it? Romans chapter 1 and verse 25, it says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature. Another translation has they worshipped and served created things. Either way, the focus is what? On ourselves and on our stuff rather than, and it concludes, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The results, look, look at the results here of Romans chapter 1 and 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers. They are haters of God and insolent and haughty and boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's just a painful list to read. And it is a perfect description of what our world looks like today. Why? 
Because people want to live the so-called good life. Enter a church that stands upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Enter followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, we cannot, we cannot allow that to happen. It is my responsibility to tell you the truth. Once I tell you the truth, it's your responsibility what you're going to do with it. Let me tell you this. People, you can stuff your pockets with all you want to stuff them with. You can literally, in our society, you can gorge yourself. You can work 60, 70, 80 hours a week if you want to. You can pack your closets and your attics and your basements and your garages and you can rent additional space to fill it up with. You can shop until you drop. You can eat until you are sick. You can pour over and fret over your bank accounts and your 401ks. You can worry and lose sleep about getting more and more and more. And I would tell you this, you will end up very, very quickly, quicker than you ever thought, standing at the end of life here on this earth as we know it. And you will be on the thresholds of eternity with a fattened, Belly of wealth, wondering why your children aren't by your side or your grandchildren don't want to be with you. You can hoard it and you can hold on to it and you will die alone. You will stand before the Lord and He will say, depart from me because I never knew you. That's the truth. Hard to say. But it needs to be spoken. Or what? Or what? Or you can take hold of that which is truly life. The choice is yours. You can do whatever you want. But I must tell you, I must tell you, you do not want to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Dads and moms, it begins with you at home. You teach your, chi you teach your children and your grandchildren. Last week, I, I, was, I was just most blessed. I know that many of us were by the testimonies of four people who just stood up and, and, and shared, and we heard together how God in his grace and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, transformed lives. And the, the youngest, I don't know if you remember or not, the youngest of those four um, quoted me, which is frightening. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what, I think it's appropriate for me to quote her. And Joy Trumbull last week said this in front of everyone, both services. And I quote, life is not about making me happy. A, a little girl, forgive me, but a 15-year-old girl got it right. 
Life is not about making me happy. A 15-year-old girl gets what a lot of adults are not getting today. This past week on Tuesday night, I had the privilege, and it was a great privilege, to, to go to Lock Haven University and to visit the, the students as they worshipped at New Life on campus at, at, at the Public Union building. And I, and I was in this room, and it was filled with young people, campus age, college students. And, and they were singing, playing instruments. They were worshiping the Lord's. And it, it was so evident that it was an absolute delight for them to be together praising the name of Jesus. They were sharing testimonies. These young students were on fire. They are learning more. They are growing. They are getting deeper. They're taking notes. Somebody mentioned a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is like a rock star to these students. They're planning how they're going to, to serve the Lord in the future. We sat together in small groups and prayed. And I was in a group of five or six students. And they were praying specifically for wisdom and for power to be bold. To share the gospel with their professors and with their fellow classmates. You know what those young students are doing? They are grabbing hold of that which is truly life. They are preparing for eternal life, which means what? That God is at the center. And I am not. They're preparing for eternal life, which means what? God does not exist for me. I exist for God. God does not exist for you. You exist for God. Remember that. Which really leads us to stewardship principle number five. This is really not going well time-wise. Either way, here it is. Stewardship principle number five. It is a lot about God and a little about me. We're building. Stewardship principle number five. It's a lot about God and a little about me. Two points I want to give you very quickly. How giving shows us... That it is about God. Here's the first one. My giving reflects my adoration of God. My giving reflects my adoration of God. How can we make sure that this is about God? How can I remove myself from it? Back to what we talked about earlier and a couple weeks ago. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Don't set your hope on riches, but on God. And then immediately after that, right after that, it says, be generous. It says, be ready to share. Be prepared to share. How do we make sure that this is not about us, but it's about God? It's really through our giving. Randy Alcorn says it like this. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person, to a greater agenda. Giving affirms Christ's lordship. It dethrones me and exalts him. And then he says this. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. And I love that. 
So we talk about, okay, well, how do we keep, how do we keep this about God? If it's a lot about God, how do we keep the focus on? We do it by our giving. Back to our narrative in the starts. What? There's this little old poor widowed lady. And it says specifically that she gave out of her poverty. Which means what? I, apparently she's not struggling too much with materialism. She's actually showing us this is all about God. It wasn't about her. She was in love. She was infatuated. She adored God. How do we know that? Because who's watching? Who's watching her? Jesus. Jesus is God. God sees the hearts. When he saw her heart and he saw her give, he says, boys, you come over here. I want you, I want you to meet this gal because she got it right. That's what's happening here. It was all about the Lord. She is in the very place. Think about it. She's in the place that represented the presence of God. It says the treasury. The treasury is the place basically where the offering boxes were set up. The offering boxes were set up in the court of the women. Men and women could go into the women's courts. Women couldn't go into the men's court, which means what? It's accessible, available to all. She's in a place that represents the presence of God. And what is she doing? She is offering a sacrifice out of pure love, out of pure devotion. To the Lord for everything that he has done. How do we do this? How do we learn this? Where do we start? God instructs us to give, but, but how? What's it look like? How much? First and foremost, please know this. Be assured that when we give, we give a whole lot more and, and money is not all that we give. Understand that. We are to give our time to the Lord. We have so many hours a week. We're to take a portion of that, I believe, and actively offer it back to the Lord. We give our talents to the Lord, our gifts that he has given to us. We exercise those spiritual muscles for his glory. It's about him. It's not about us. God gives to us a, a little nugget of wisdom. You give that to others. You pass that on to others. You become a conduit everything that God has given to you, you give out to others. We give, our, we give our, our, our experiences that God has allowed us. We give our, our tiny little expertise in a particular subject, something that we have gone through, a journey, a trial. We pass that on to others. Giving in, in virtually any form breaks that stronghold of materialism that grips so many people today. Giving in any Form frees people from this prison that the world is in, this endless pursuit of possessions and things. A logical place to start is where God started with Old Covenant children. Think about this. This is exactly what was on the mind of this little old widow lady. She was not yet aware of the new covenant of grace that we live under. Christ had not died yet. We can and we should learn from her. Well, what's in her mind? What has she been taught? Back to the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. I'll give you a couple references. You can write them down and look them up later on. It says this. Leviticus 27 verse 30. Every tithe of the lands, every one-tenth of the entire land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. 
It is holy to the Lord. It literally means one-tenth of everything. Everything that was produced, everything that was made, everything that was earned, 10% of everything. Here it's an agrarian culture. It's, it's about fruits and it's about seeds and harvests was to be given back. That, that sounds like an awful lot. It's hard. We have to shoot for that. We strive towards that. Tell you personally, it's hard to do. It's a sacrifice. Kids in college, we support missionaries. How do we continue to do all of that? God calls us to that. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, it says what? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your, your produce. God's children give to him first, not last. It was interesting as I was writing this, you know the little red squiggly line that comes up when you spell something wrong, spell check? First fruits kept coming up as, as if it was spelled wrong. Like they're, they're telling me, like, like Mr. Computer Guy is telling me from what it says here, one word first fruits, and it's not a word. Let me tell you what. That's how foreign the idea is in our world today. They don't even understand the concept. They can't even spell it. First fruits, the first thing that we get, we cut it and we offer it up. That's what God's word tells us. Now, there was a time in Scripture when people did not think this was important. I think we could almost say what history repeats itself. There's a time when people think that this is not important. The prophet spoke up into this, Malachi chapter 3, and it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you say to me, well, how have we robbed you? In your, in your tithes and your contributions. And, and, and Malachi says this, that you are to bring the full tithes into the storehouse. Why is this so important? We do that so we keep the focus on what? It's all about God. It's a lot about God. It's a little about us. Yeah, but that's Old Testament. Come on, that's Old Covenant. We live under the New Testament. We live under, we live under New Covenant of grace. We need to determine very quickly, we need to determine, does God expect New Covenant children to give more or to give less? Something tells me that this old widow lady got it right. She was instructed and she obeyed. Second point, and finally, very quickly in closing, my giving reveals my obedience to God. My giving reveals my obedience to God. Jesus actually spoke of this. Jesus spoke on the subject of the tithe. With this cutting, I mean, it's a stinging conversation that he has with the hypocritical Pharisees. And he says this in Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, or a warning to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then he says, semicolon, hypocrites, exclamation point. Just want to throw that in. By the way, there's a warning to you people, hypocrites. It's what Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, for you tithe with, with mint and dill and cumin, the, the spices, expensive spices, and you've neglected the weightier matters of law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. And Jesus says this, his words, 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. So what is Jesus saying? You better be doing both of these things. What does Jesus do? He raises the bar. He never lowers the bar of giving. And you'll notice that there is no mention of the subject of tithing after the Gospels. It is neither commanded nor is it rescinded. That's why it remains such a, a, a debated issue today. Now, you can be assured, I am, I am not a legalist. I, am the, I despise legalism. But you can't help but notice, every single example of New Testament giving seems to go beyond. We spent, what, a year and a half in the book of Acts? Look at how they took care of one another, how they gave. You know what? They gave this idea that this widow has. Jesus always raised the bar. He never lowered it. Do, do you really think that God is going to expect less from us? We have the completed word of God. We have the incredible, powerful ministry of the spirit of God. We have been blessed to live in the wealthiest society that has ever existed in the face of the entire world's history of the world's. And so we are to give less than he expected or demanded of the poorest Israelite? It doesn't seem to make sense. Paul actually commends the Macedonians. Remember the Macedonians who gave in their severe poverty? It says that they gave in the most severe trial, and it says that they do it with the most overflowing of joy. I love this. They gave, and yet they did it with, with overflowing joy. How does that happen? Paul actually acknowledges it. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, in love, see that you excel in the grace of giving. How do you, how do you excel at something? You've been watching the Olympics recently. How do they excel? They excel by practicing, by doing the same thing over and over and over. You want to get good at giving, you begin to practice. Why do these athletes sacrifice? Because they know what's at the end. Sad thing is today is that there's, I understand there's actually people years ago that are selling their gold and silver medals. Children and grandchildren get these, they, they hock them, they can make a few bucks, live the good life. Think about that. Are you aware of the fact that God desires for you and I to practice in our giving in a way that when we meet him face to face, there is nothing for you and I to be ashamed about? How are we to do it? Let me give you these very quickly in, in closing. Four of them, give prayerfully. Pray about every single thing that you give. God, do you want me to do this? He will direct you very clearly, yes or no. I call it no or go. Okay, give willingly. If you ever give anything and you don't have a desire to give, which means you're giving reluctantly, let me tell you this, just keep it. God does not want it. Certainly God does not need it. We give prayerfully. We give willingly. We are to give joyfully. We give with what? I get to do this. This is so exciting. This is so amazing. I love this. That's how we're to give. Let me tell you this. Fourthly and finally, we are to give sacrificially. Every single one of us are at different levels. Understandable. We ought to have what? One sense of equality in the fact that we all are equal in the amount of sacrifice. 
To whom much is given, much is required. Keep that before you. I don't know whether or not people, they're not being taught properly. I don't know if it's not getting through to them today. I don't know if people know it and they're just being completely disobedient. Borna says that less than, in a research that was done, less than 5% of people who call themselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, less than 5% of all Christians participate in tithing. Think of that. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but um, my dad and mom, it's almost uncomfortable. My mom and dad are loaded. Like they are so grossly wealthy, it's actually embarrassing at times for me to talk about it. The odd thing is, is that my dad did not inherit anything from his dad. And, and my mom did not inherit anything from her dad. But, but they both went to the Lord. And they said this, we have nothing. But we give ourselves to you. You take all of us. You just take everything. And God did that. 32 years on the mission field. I, I hope when I get to heaven that there would be a fraction, just a tiny portion of the people that, that are in heaven as a result of any ministry that I would have ever had in comparison to the people that I know will be in heaven because of the ministry of, of a faithful couple. And, and they, are, they are tremendously wealthy in the sense that they have passed on to, to, to us, their children, and then their grandchildren, and now their great-grandchildren. The wealth of understanding what? That we put our faith and trust in a sovereign God over all. And it brings things in perspective. They have more than enough waiting for them. And it will be worth it. Good reminder for all of us. It's a lot about God and it's a little about you. Father, we thank you for the privilege you've given to us to give Help us to do it under your leading. In your name we pray. Amen.